0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been in a sermon series called Possible. The sermon series called Possible. And the reason why it's called Possible, if you have not been here mean, um, you have not watched the message, I encourage you to go back, go back and watch them if you have not. Um, it's because Paul addresses a lot of topics in this particular book of the Bible, in this particular letter to the Corinthian church, and it seems like a lot of hard stuff. It's going to get real hard next week and the week after that, but it's some really hard stuff, and oftentimes we as Christians can see God's commands and his demands on our lives, and, and we can automatically look in ourselves and feel like this is too much— This is beyond me. I I struggle too much. I'm too weak. I can't do the things that God has called me to. And the first thought we have when we see God's commands is how impossible it is. But Paul highlights for them that they have the spirit of God. And because we have the spirit of God, what God calls us to is not impossible, but because we have God, it is actually possible. If we tried to do what God called us to do in our own strength and our own might, we would never be able to do it. But because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have the Spirit of God in our lives that lives on the inside of us, with God, all things are possible. And so this series is based, based, based around us changing our perspectives on what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And in the first four chapters of this letter, Paul deals with the, with the issue of unity in the church. The church is pretty divided at this point, and, and, and Paul is writing to them, addressing their division and their disunity among themselves. And one of the things that they are uh, they are, uh in uh discord about is that they are uh prompting up speakers and leaders in the church over against one another so some say I'm 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 in Paul's camp some say I'm in Apollos's camp some say I'm in Peter's camp and some say I'm, I'm just team Jesus I don't ride with Paul or Apollos I just ride with Jesus and so they are they are pitting these leaders against each other. It's not the leaders that are pitting, pitting one another, uh, pitting themselves against one another. It's actually the people in the church because they are using the leaders for their own benefit and for their own influence and for their own come up. And so Paul writes in the face of that to undermine that and to say that because of the cross and because of what Jesus has done, he has made us all one. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. And this is what he addresses in the first four chapters of the letter. And today we Get to the last part of the first section of the letter of, of First Corinthians, and then next week it gets a little rocky in the road if you want to want to read ahead. But today we're in the first uh, chapter four verses one through twenty one. Chapter four verses one through twenty one, and here's what it says a person, a person should think of us. In this way, keep in mind what I just told you, they're pitting leaders against one another. They're turning leaders into celebrities. And here's what Paul says, a person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness, And reveal the intentions of the heart. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? Well, what do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are, you are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displaced displayed us, the apostles, in last place like men condemned to die. And here's what Paul says his ministry is like. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but but you are strong. We are You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated. We are homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Who would want to do this job? This is crazy, but this is how Paul describes his ministry. And then 14, here's what Paul says. I'm not not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Uh, uh, For for you have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For, For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He'll remind you about my ways in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. Paul is making some some threats. Paul is talking big talk right here. For, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit? of gentleness. So Paul is essentially saying, if you don't get it together, you're going to catch these holy hands. That's what Paul is saying to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for just this opportunity to, to worship and to honor you amongst the saints today, God. I pray that your word would fall on fertile soil today, God. I pray that we would grow in our faith, God. I pray that we would grow in our worship. We will grow in our obedience, Father. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to to receive, to understand, to learn, to grow in our faith. And we pray ultimately, Lord, that that Christ would be exalted today. We pray that Jesus would be glorified. And so, Father, I pray that today is not just a day where we sit back and relax and let the pastor entertain us, God, but I pray that we would pay full attention, God, that we will engage with our hearts, with our minds, that we would allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to transform us as we as we study, as we listen together. And so, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity, God, that we get to worship you with the saints. And so, Lord, we love you, we honor you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, and the people of God said amen. 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 You may be seated. From the sermon series Possible, my sermon title today is The People and Their Pastor. The, The People and Their Pastor. It's always somewhat awkward and strange and difficult for me when we get to passages about pastoral ministry because I fear that oftentimes I will preach it from a perspective of my own experience. And 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 I want to be fair in the text to say that not all pastors are perfect. Surely I'm not. But it also should be said that all congregations are not perfect either. And so there's there's a, there's a balance to how the pastor and how the congregation deals with one another. Oftentimes, the pastor is seen as a separate entity from the church, and then he is treated, it, treated as such. And, and, and so, so today, I, I want to bring some sort of balance to this, to this perspective, that, that how should a church actually approach their pastor and how a pastor should actually deal with the congregation. Remember, that this section of the text is about unity, It would be one thing for the people to be united together but then have this this unity with the pastor. But when when Paul calls for unity, he's calling for all of the church to be united, including the leaders of the church. And it is possible that the church and the pastor can have a healthy relationship together. And so my prayer today is that after we study this, that we will grow in our love for one another from congregation to pastor and from pastor to congregation. And so today I want to bring some clarity on on what a pastor acts. Actually, does what? What is the pastor's role in the church? What? What, what does a pastor actually? actually do? What What does he practically do? And so I, I started thinking of some of the things that a pastor actually, that a pastor actually does practically on a day-to-day basis. What, what pastors all over the place do on a, on a regular basis? And you may be surprised. So I'm going to run down a list of things that pastors are and things that pastors do. The first thing that I think most pastors are, pastors are counselors. Something else that pastors are, pastors oftentimes serve as accountants. Pastors also sometimes are financial advisors. I, I've literally sat in offices and advised people on what to do with their finances. So, sometimes pastors are even loan officers. But, but I retired from that job a long, long time ago. I, I got tired of that. I was like, this, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not doing this no more. So, so, so pastors can be loan officers. So, sometimes pastors are mechanics. I've seen pastors give people jumps in their cars in the parking lot. Pastors fix cars for people sometimes. I've seen pastors become resume writers. I wrote a few myself for some of the congregants. Pastors are oftentimes job recruiters. They help people to find jobs as if they don't have the internet and LinkedIn themselves. Sometimes pastors are job reference because no one else likes you and won't give you a reference. You go to the pastor because he's got to be nice to you. Sometimes pastors are stylists. I have had to style people and teach people how to tie ties. I've had to tell people you probably need to own a sports coat or maybe you should comb your hair today. Facts. It's big facts I'm spitting right now. Pastors are funeral planners. They help families plan out when a loved one dies because a family is debilitated and paralyzed by the trauma that has happened to them. And oftentimes pastors will walk a person from the, from the time of death all the way till they put the person in the ground. Pastors are wedding coordinators. Sometimes people don't know what to do and a pastor has to show them how to get married. Pastors are referees. And I'm not talking about youth sports leagues. I'm talking about referees of your relationships. Pastors are part-time babysitters. Last Saturday, I babysat a baby at a baby shower. I literally put a baby to sleep with one hand. Because I love the kids. Pastors are confidants. Pastors are obligated to keep your little dirty secrets. All of those things that pastors do and oftentimes what happens is pastors are held up somewhere between two extremes of either being a superhero or an antagonist to your dreams. But the interesting thing out of all of those roles that I just read, the pastor will be judged by none of those. And so today I want to bring some clarity on what a pastor actually does and what he's called to do. And so there's kind of like a mirror passage to the passage that, that we're teaching from today. And I want to just take a brief, a brief glance at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4 it kind of gives us a picture and a snapshot of, of what a pastor actually is called to do by God. And here's what it says in verse 2, a sh- shepherd God's among you the first thing that you need to know is that the church does not belong to the pastor the church belongs to God The pastor does not own the people because he did not die for the people. He did not shed his blood for the people, but God did. And so it is God's flock, not the pastor's flock. But what the pastor does is he manages oversight of the flock of God, and his job is to feed and protect the sheep. What is he feeding them, food? Yes, spiritual food. The pastor's job is to feed them the good news of what Christ has done for them and to teach them the scriptures and to make sure that they're growing in that but his job is also to protect them from wolves and sheep clothing and false teachers who will come in to undermine the profession of faith that the believers have made and so when you look at first Peter chapter 5 verses 2 through 4 it says that not overseeing out of compulsion but willingly as God would have you not out of a greed for money but eagerly not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock of God and one of the most most undermined but most significant responsibilities of a pastor is to be example to the flock of God. And here's what that means, to be a model to people of what it looks like to follow Jesus. A model of what it looks like to follow Jesus in a pastor is to do his job willingly and eagerly and when he says this it literally points to the heart and so here's what you need to know if a person is pastoring a church a, being a pastor is not a job it's a call it's not a job it, it's a call. It, it, is, it is a call. And, and, and the heart of the pastor will one day be judged. His motives will be judged for why he did it. And here's two things that you need to know about the job of the pastor. The pastor will be judged, but the pastor will not be judged by the people. He'll be judged by God himself. The second thing that you need to know is that the pastor will not be judged by the world's metric of success, but the pastor will be judged by God's metric. And so this is hard for our generation of Christians to grasp because we judge success in ministry like everything else by sheer numbers, popularity, and influence. And this is what was happening in the church at Corinth. Their culture judged everything by popularity And productivity and so they were evaluating their leaders and judging them based on a measure of success that was cultural but not kingdom. And so they're boasting in their leaders. Okay, well, Paul is the one who planted the church, so Paul is my man. No, no, Apollos, he's this eloquent teacher and speaker. Man, pa- Apollos can talk. No, 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 no. I'm rocking with Peter because Peter was actually one of Jesus' homeboys. He was the spokesperson of the disciples, so I'm team Peter. And then somebody from the back yelled out, I'm not team nobody. I'm team Jesus. Right? And so so they, they are sitting, putting themselves in factions associating with a leader, but not because they love the leaders, but they love what they can get out of the leaders. They they love being next to someone who could give them a platform and make them popular and make them have influence. And so with, with them doing this to the leaders, pitting one leader against another, they were dividing the church. They were dividing the church. And so Paul writes to them so that they would know how to have a proper perspective on their leaders and how they would judge and evaluate them properly. And here's what it says in the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. A person should think of of us this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So here's what he says to the church. Don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will bring both to light what is hidden in the dark and reveal the intentions of the heart. And then the praise will come from God. And here's what I want you to know. There's two things in these first five verses that describes to us what a pastor is tasked with doing. And the number one thing that the pastor is tasked with doing and the first perspective that the people should have is that the pastor is a servant. The pastor is a servant, not a celebrity. The pastor is a servant. So the pastor serves a model of leadership that follows after Jesus. Real quick, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus called the disciples over to him. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the model of leadership that every pastor should have, that he he is a servant first, meaning that he puts others before himself and he sacrifices for the good of the whole, giving himself completely to the other people that are around him. Secondly, a pastor is a steward. A pastor should be seen as a steward a steward you know what a steward is a steward was the the highest ranking servant of a wealthy landowner a steward was someone who managed the property and resources of another for the benefit of the owner and so a a steward would be hired to manage the household resources and so the steward was to make sure they cultivated and kept that which they were given responsibility of a steward had the responsibility to manage and to manage things not in the way for his own benefit, but for the benefit of his owner. And so Paul says in this text that pastors are servants and they're stewards of the mysteries of God, which means this, they're stewards of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. That they... Steward that they preach to the people of God the message of the gospel, that they keep the gospel at the forefront of the people's minds. That's why we preach the gospel every week. This is why I'm not trying to give you messages about success and your next level and how you're going to come up. I'm trying to faithfully manage the gospel message because the gospel is the only thing that can save you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of your hopes and dreams. And this is what they are tasked with. This is what they are to be faithful with. And so here's the one thing that they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be found faithful. And so faithfulness is a measure of success in the kingdom of God. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is the measure of success. And ultimately, who determines the success or failure of the pastor is not the people. And not even the pastor him—the pastor himself. But who measures his success is God and God doesn't measure success in numbers. He measures it in faithfulness. He measures it in faithfulness. And so if God is the one that is going to judge the pastor, then that means that you can relax, that you don't have to judge everything that he does, but that you can trust that God is going to judge him eventually. And here's another thing. It is scary. It is a scary thing because James chapter 3 verse 1 says, it's not on the screen, but he says this, not many should become teachers. Here's why. Because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now that shouldn't scare you from ministry. Because we'll all be judged at some point. But it's to say that if a person says that I'm a pastor and I'm a teacher in the Lord's church, that I I, got to understand that there will be a stricter judgment for me. And so faithfulness matters And so the judgment and the reward of a pastor will come from God alone. Praise will actually come from God. This is why if you are in the ministry, you can't do it for pats on your back from the people because sometimes people won't appreciate what you do for them. If you're not doing it for God, then you got to get out of it. You got to get out of it if you're not doing for God. People will not always appreciate your service. And God, I, I bless y'all for, for some, some of y'all will send me some nice notes at times. So sometimes y'all will write me nice. I, I love it. It's, it's, it's awesome and it's wonderful. But that's a handful of people. That's a handful of people. And so you, you can't live off the success in the or the the, the the perception of excess success of the people, you gotta make sure that you're doing it for God's praise and that your ultimate goal is to hear well done, thy good and faithful servant. So here's the thing even though that is the case, and even though Paul is modeling for them servant leadership, the people still don't seem to get it. The people sat them sat themselves in the seat of judgment over and against. The leaders in the church, and this is what Paul addresses in six through thirteen. Would you read this with me, six through thirteen? Look what it says. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so, so that you may learn from us the meaning of saying no, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is not that, that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so? Who told you that you can? Who told you that you can sit in the seat of judgment over the performance of the pastor? Who told you that you can do this? What what did you ha- what do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Oh, I get it. I get it. You are already full. What Paul is saying, you already arrived. You've already made it. You're already rich. You're already spiritually mature. You only been saved for five minutes, but I get it. You got it all together already. This is what Paul is saying, and Paul is saying, okay, you 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 already reign. You you already reign as kings. You already reigned Would you just, would you let us in on it? Can you can you teach us the gospel too, since you know everything already? This is what Paul is saying to them. And Paul and Apollos are living out this humble servants to the people. They're not propping themselves up as celebrities. They're doing their best to be faithful to the call of God. But these brand new Christians got arrogant in a short amount of time. And they were determining who was a good leader and who was not a good leader based on superficial things like who was the best preacher in the church? Who sings the best? Who's my favorite greeter? Who runs the screens the best? I judge that but you shouldn't and Paul is saying essentially who do y'all think you are did we give you the gospel were you not out in the world did you how do you how do you tell us when we gave it to you you received the gospel from us didn't we teach you about your faith but here you are behaving in such a way that you've already spiritually arrived. For you, there's no more teaching to be done. Now you get to determine who is the better of God's servants. And and all this does is reveal the arrogance and the pride of the Corinthians. And here's the point I want to make. Our salvation is not from anything we've done to earn. it. It is the free gift of God. So no one should be bragging about anything. No one should be sitting in the seat of judgment over anybody. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. No earned salvation. You didn't get it because you were popular. You didn't get it because you were smart or rich or came from a good family. We are all saved by the grace of God. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9. Never forget this for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift. I want to say this again because some of us live in this reality of works-based righteousness. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. If you go out and talk about your faith, stop talking about your good behavior. Stop talking about what Christians do and what Christians don't do. Let people know that salvation is God's gift to us, not from works so no one can boast. And if I'm bragging, I'm bragging about God. There's nothing special about them, but they're bragging as if they've arrived. Here's what I want to tell you, that the nature of the gospel in Christianity is actually humility. The grace of God levels the playing field for all of us. But Here's what I've seen in pastoral ministry. I've seen people receive the gospel. I've seen people be changed by the gospel. I've seen people start to grow in the gospel. I've seen people receive opportunities to serve, and all of a sudden, those people who knew nothing now know a little bit and can tell everybody else what they should be doing. And all of a sudden, someone who was not saved, who did not understand the gospel, becomes legalist, becomes a Pharisee. Now you can tell everybody how they should get themselves together. When I've seen some who got an opportunity to serve, did a good job and then became entitled. As if we all should bow down when they walk in the room. I've seen this happen. I've seen people literally, and this is what I'm like, I don't like to type, preach, preach these type of messages because I want to be fair and balanced, right? But I've seen people who didn't know anything couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. Literally saved for five minutes. But then they know how to pastor a church. No, this is what we should be doing. And I'm like, no, you should be sitting down. <laughs> but the gospel calls us to humility. Humility. That even if I don't get my way, at least I got an opportunity to serve God. No one's entitled to anything. God God doesn't owe us anything. This is all a gift of God's grace. Do you know it is a privilege and an honor that you get to come and sit in a building with air conditioning? That we get, like this is special, that we come and get to sit under the word of God, whether it's your topic today or not. I know your favorite preacher on YouTube preaches about relationships every week. Everything is a relationship series because they know that's what gets you. And your relationship is still not better. How many messages about being single are you going to listen to? Just let me know when I'm. Just let me know when I'm out of pocket. <laughs> <laughs> because if you don't get this right, it don't matter how fine they are, how good they look, how much money they have. How much extracurricular activities they got going on that you like? Don't matter. Am I I, I going too far? Am I good? Am I all right? I I just want to make sure I didn't jump out the window already this morning. Am I good? Am I right? Pastor Trey, am I right? I'm Okay. Okay. Just got to make sure I'm not out of pocket. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> but but they become arrogant. So now they 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 everything is how can I how can I now be seen? How how can I parlay this opportunity into something else? Right? I, I, got, I got a phone, I got a camera, I got a YouTube channel, I got some followers, I'm a pastor now. And if you are not, and if, if what's happening in this church is not helping to support what I'm doing out here, then I can't get with it. I'm gonna take my proverbial spiritual ball and go home. But that's pride and that's arrogance. And Paul is addressing him, and Paul is like, ministry is not a popularity contest, it's a call to walk in the way of Jesus. Ministry is a call to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. This is what ministry is about. Success to God is not based on productivity. It's based on faithfulness. It's based on can you hang in there when things are not going your way? So here's what Paul says. For I think God has displaced us. The apostles in last place, like men, condemned to die. This is how Paul explains ministry. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to people and to angels. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you're strong, you're distinguished. We're dishonored. Up to the present hour, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, my clothes are tattered, I'm treated roughly, I'm homeless. We labor, I work with my own hands. We're reviled and we have to bless people. We're persecuted and we just have to sit there and take it and don't say nothing. we are slandered, and we have to respond gracefully when people curse us out. We have to say, God bless you. This is ministry. Paul's ministry doesn't sound like celebrity, it sounds like suffering. But because of social media, we filter the reality of ministry and our walk with Christ out. We've made it sanitized. We've put some perfume on it. We've made it seem like God is here to serve our needs. God is here to fulfill my purpose. I found God. He didn't found me. But that's not the reality of the cross. That's not what it is. Here's what Dr. Eugene Peterson says about this particular passage in the Message Bible. He says, you might be well thought of by others, but we're, most, we're mostly kicked around. And then I start thinking about, you know what this sounds like? Sounds like Paul, if, if there was a song to go with what Paul was saying, it sounds like Paul like, it's the hard knock life for us. It's the hard knock life for us. Instead of treated, we get tricked. Instead of, what? It's the hard knock life. Driving something in New York has ever heard. No, I'm sorry, sorry. it's Jay-Z, get out, get out, get out. Get out, get out, get out, ho. Here's what Dr. Eugene Peterson also says. When they call us names, we say God bless you. When they spread rumors about us, we have to put in a good word for them. When they spread rumors about us, we have to put in a good word for them. I've seen people talk, about, talk behind my back, slander my name, right after I sent them a reference. But I couldn't go and re-slander, right? just had to follow the way of Jesus. And by the, by the world standards, what Paul is going through looks weak. It looks foolish. He looks dishonored. It doesn't look like success. It looks like he's encountered a lot of sufferings. But here's what you need to know. He is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He is going through all of this and still showing up. So here's how you judge a pastor. Here's how you judge a pastor. Here's no matter of fact, here's how you don't judge a pastor. You don't judge him by Twitter followers. You don't judge him by Instagram followers. You don't judge them by Facebook likes. You don't judge them by that. You don't judge them by retweets. You don't judge them by reposts. I'm not saying that stuff is evil. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's not how you judge a pastor. Here's how you judge a pastor. How does he handle adversity? How do they handle things when things go awry? Are they still preaching teaching and leading in spite of what's happening to them? Are they praying for and with others in their sufferings when they themselves are suffering? Are they still preaching the gospel faithfully when others have traded in the gospel for a message that's more palpable but void of Christ and void of the cross? Or are the pastors still preaching faithfully? Are they using their suffering as an evangelistic tool to show off the power of God? This is how you judge a pastor. How do they handle adversity? Do they take a licking and keep on ticking? Do they handle adversity? Do they get up with pain in their own bodies? Do they get up with crap going on in their own lives? Do they get up when people are talking about them and still love and hug the same people that wish that they were dead? this That's how you judge ministry success, not by social media. Shout out to social media. It's not bad. It's not evil. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that can give you a false notion of what success is. Success is not measured by that superficial stuff. It's measured by faithfulness. But that's not just for Paul and that's not just for pastors. That's for every believer. This is what makes us mature in Christ, how we handle suffering. Maturity comes through perseverance and endurance, not popularity, not popularity. David Garland, his commentary First 1 Corinthians says, the Christian life is not a fast track to glory, but a slow, arduous path that takes us through suffering. Now let me say this, let me say this, I'm mentioning suffering, some of you like, I can't get with you, I can't follow you there. Here's, here's what I need you to know, as Christians, we will suffer, but we don't go looking for it. You don't have to be like, man, I sure hope I get fired today. <laughs> I want to suffer with Christ. Boy, I sure hope this car breaks down on our four. I want to suffer for Jesus. Boy, I sure hope we don't have any food when I get home because I want to suffer for Christ. I, I pray that there's an eviction notice on my apartment door when I get home because I want to suffer for Jesus. He was homeless. I want to be homeless, too. That, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying we go looking for suffering, but it is to say that when we do suffer, we follow the way of Jesus, meaning that when we suffer for Christ, we realize that we will lose things because of our faith. That If you are following Jesus, suffering means I know that at some point I will have to walk away from some stuff. If I'm following Jesus, at some point I will have to walk away from certain sections of people in my life. At some point I will lose friends. At some point friends will walk away from me and I have to be okay with it as long as it is in my faith. I'm walking and following after Jesus. I've been called a sufferer. Here's a thing I want to say to my young church. I love y'all so much. But if you don't suffer at all and never have, you might not be following Jesus. If you got the same friends that you had when you first start coming to this church and the same friends that you had when you first got saved, all of your friends are the same and you are are not all saved, but you have the same friends and y'all still tight and there's never been no fights, never been no arguments, you're not following Jesus. There's no way you can follow Jesus and not lose people. But some of you are avoiding the path of suffering because you want to be comfortable. You still want to be one of the cool kids. Cool kids go to hell. It gets real hot for cool kids eventually. <laughs> yeah. But if Jesus called us, he's called, there will be suffering that comes. But here's what happens. Here's what the mature believer does. Suffering comes, and the mature believer doesn't ask the question, why is this happening to me? The mature Christian says suffering comes how am i going to allow god to use this in my life so that he can get the glory out of it r- 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 but to a christians recall Uh, Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 5. They they recall Romans 5. They they, they memorize it and they say we, we rejoice in our sufferings. Not happy because we are suffering, but I'll rejoice while I am suffering because I know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope and that hope will not put me to shame because the love of God has been poured in my heart through the Holy Spirit. So even if I am suffering, I know that God is using my suffering and God will get the glory out of my suffering so my suffering is not all that bad and this is what, what Paul is trying to get them to follow. And Paul wants to be an example of this for them. Not that they go looking for suffering, but when they do suffer, they see it as an opportunity for God to get the glory in their lives. And this is how they are to measure, measure ministry success. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Here's what it says. Here's what, Paul's, uh, what Peter says. For you are called to this. This is for all Christians. Because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And Paul is trying to be an example of, to them of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is how he judges ministry success. Paul wants to be an intimate example for them. And here's what it says in verses 14 through 17. After saying that you already arrived, you're already kings, you think you know more than I do. Here's what Paul says. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless Instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers, for I became your Father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Look at my life. This is why I sent you Timothy to you, sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He'll remind you about my ways in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is not writing to shame them. He's calling them on the carpet, but he's doing that because he loves them and he wants to correct them. Let me tell you something, if no one ever corrects you, they don't love you. Here's how you know you have good friends, good people around you. If you act a fool and they say, man, that ain't ain't it. That's not you. I thought we serve Jesus. Even in your attitude. Even even if you get upset, something you should say, that's a good friend. Here's what bad friends are. They let you get all the way drunk on Friday night and Saturday night. Know you are gonna come to church on Sunday morning, cause you are, cause you got to wipe the guilt. All right, whatever. If you don't oversleep, and they don't say anything to you, that's not a real friend. Real friends will wake you up out your sleep, say you got to do better than this. Let's go to church. Some of us don't have real friends. Therefore, some of us don't have real examples. But we need examples, and this is what Paul is for them. And Paul says, I love you. You're you're my dear children. I'm I'm your father in the faith. I'm not some distant spiritual leader, but I'm a spiritual father. I have a real relationship with you. And here's the thing he refers them as children, and he says he's their father. Now, I want to say this Paul refers himself to as this, refers himself. As a spiritual father, I want to say this. Some of us have, if, 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 if some of you have never heard the terminology spiritual father before, because some of you didn't grow up in church and you didn't grow up in those type of um, denominations, and, and, and so, but, but some of you did. And when some of you hear the term spiritual father, it evokes a visceral emotional reaction from you because you've seen it abused, right? You've seen it happen. That means, spiritual father, you got to kiss my ring, you got to stand up when I walk in the room. You got to give me all your money. You got you to gotta do everything, be everywhere that I tell you to be when I tell you to be there. You got to carry my bags. You got you, you to gotta let me ride on your back. You, you, gotta, you, you got to, you, you, every, you, everything centers around, around me, uh, right? And, and so th- that's not what this is. Paul uses the terminology because Paul says, what makes me your spiritual father is that you encountered the gospel through me. I'm the first one that gave you the gospel, therefore that makes me your spiritual father. I I birthed you in the faith. You understood the gospel with me. I I gave you the gospel, therefore that makes me your spiritual father because I'm the founder of the church and I'm the one who introduced you to the gospel that makes me your father and that makes you my spiritual child. Now here's what I need you to know about spiritual fathers and what they're not. Spiritual father is not someone that you don't have a real relationship with because this happens in the kingdom. Some of y'all understand what I'm saying. Some of you will not. Spiritual fathers are not people that you don't have a real relationship with, but you claim them as a spiritual father just because the pastor's famous. Spiritual father is not someone that you don't have a real relationship with, but they call you son because you send them large offerings in the mail. Spiritual father is not someone that you have a casual relationship with, but you can't call them if you really get in trouble. Spiritual father is not someone that has not walked with you through some difficult seasons in your life. And so Paul is saying, I am here. I am up close and personal. I spent those 18 months with you, teaching you the gospel, living with you, showing you how it, what it means to follow Jesus and setting an example of service and stewardship before you. And Paul says, you have countless instructors, but not many fathers. And what Paul is saying is there are countless guys and countless people to teach you the gospel there are countless people that you can go to and listen to and just get some information from. And I think that's so pertinent in our date and time because guides, instructors come and go. And here's what we do today. We curate a buffet of our favorite instructors today. And so we podcast and YouTube on steroids. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The problem is when you hear from the instructor and you impose upon the father what you heard from the instructor and the instructor always seems right to you. But the problem is the instructor seems right to you because the instructor does not know you. Let me give you an example. You go somewhere and you get a word from the Lord. You get a, he gives you the word of the Lord and tells you that you are called to the universe. You have a world, a, a universal ministry. And you you take that to heart, and you say, "Oh, I'm called, I'm called to everywhere, and I'm called to all the nations." And your pastor's like, "But I need you to greet at the door." And then you get up, you get upset with the pastor, because you say he ain't seen, he ain't seeing the vision. The problem is. The pastor might know that you're called to the nations, but he knows that you suck as a neighbor. And so context matters. And so, yes, you listen to sermons on YouTube and podcasts and it sounds good to your soul. And you might wish, I wish my pastor would say some of this type of stuff to us. But he knows you. And a true father will not just tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you what you need to hear. And, and, and so every message can't be ice cream and flowers. Sometimes you need to be hit with the truth because that's what you need. And that's what a father does. A father does not love you if they don't tell you the truth. But you know what a father also does? A father serves as a good example to his children. Here's what you need to know. There's only one perfect father. So every father will not be perfect, especially earthly fathers and spiritual fathers. They will not be perfect. But as long as they are following Jesus, you have the responsibility to follow in their footsteps. And Here's what Paul says in verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. This is why I sent Timothy, my son, to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul sent them Timothy because Timothy modeled what Paul was like in Paul's absence. He was a true son in the faith. He was a son that said if that's what Paul is doing, that's what I'm going to do. If Paul is telling me to do this, although I can't see it, I'm not feeling it. It seems beyond me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow this because I know that he's following Jesus. And so here's what I want to do as I close. I want to look at Paul's relationship with Timothy. I'm almost done. I want to look at a couple scriptures. I'm going to run through these. This is Paul's son in the faith, Timothy. He also refers to Titus as his son. He, he, he refers to Onesimus as his son. He refers to the, uh, several churches as his sons and daughters in the faith. And so I want to look at his relationship with Timothy real quick and show you what it looks like for a father, a spiritual father, to interact with his spiritual son. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 through 19. Here's what Paul says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good Fight of faith having faith and a good conscience some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith you see a father reminding and instructing his son about the call that God gave him and he's encouraging him that no matter what happens continue to keep up the good fight then first Timothy chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 he says this command and teach these things don't let anyone despise your youth but set an example for believers in speech in conduct in love in faith and purity until I come Timothy keep attention to public reading exhorting and teaching don't neglect the gift that is in you it was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders practice these things be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all pay, t- pay close attention to your life and your teaching persevere in these things for in doing this you will save both them and your hearers and so this is another uh, instance where the father is encouraging his son and then 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 says this and I'm almost done he says this command and teach these things timothy i know you're young but don't let anyone despise your youth anyone despise your youth oh i already read that Actually, i already read that i think i'm okay, i messed up on my scripture sorry i thought i had another scripture never mind so here's what's happening he's not telling him just to imitate paul the goal is for timothy to be paul, not to be paul-like but to be christ-like Ultimately, he's giving them these instructions, not because he wants Paul to be like him. He wants Paul, he wants Timothy to be like Jesus. And this is what the the pastor does. The pastor points the people to Jesus. He points the people to Jesus. And so you know what? That may not look like hearing everything that you want to hear. And Sometimes it may not look like them instructing you and doing things that you actually want to do. But it may be pointing you to the way of Christ. Because that's what a father does. He calls his children to imitate him, to follow his good example. But that's just not, that's not just for spiritual fathers, that's for every Christian. Because we should all desire to be someone that other people can imitate. When was the last time you asked yourself this question? am I a Christ follower that is worth someone else following me? Would I follow me? If I was an unbeliever and I encountered myself, would my life scream, follow me? or with my life stream, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because there's no difference between you and me. It's not just for fathers, but it's for all of us to desire to be the type of person that other people can imitate. And we set an example in humility, in service, in self-sacrifice for other people to follow. And this is the way of Jesus. And so I'll say this, Hebrews 13 and 7 says this Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. If you see them serving, if you see them giving, if you see them sacrificing, follow in their footsteps. If you see them walk through difficult and hard seasons and still follow Jesus, take that as your sign and signal that I should be following too. If you see them consistent, that means I should be consistent too. If they have a love for Jesus and a love for His Word, let me imitate that. It's not to say that they'll be perfect, it's not to say that they'll always have the right response. It's not always say that they'll make the best decision ever. But it's to say that if, if they are enduring and persevering and walking through life and disappointment and setbacks and betrayals and all of these things, and they still follow Jesus, then let me follow Jesus too. Let me imitate their faith. And lastly, I want to read this. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. I and every other pastor will have to give an account to your soul. Here's the thing, and here's what most pastors across the country are thinking. How can we give account to people that we don't see? And, and if I can be honest for a moment, the job of a pastor, and I'll speak for, I can—I I was with pastors all this past, this past week. For, for three days, I was with other pastors. And here's one of the most disappointing things and one of the most heartbreaking things for pastors is this. I'll let you behind the curtains. Pastors will work all week preparing for a sermon, just working, slaving over sermon. Pastors will... Be meeting people, dealing with people's stuff, advising, counseling, financial advising, bank loaning, and do all those things throughout the week. Preparing a sermon, th- thinking about members in this church, thinking about the issues going on in this church, thinking about the pain points in this church, thinking about all of those things that, that are happening and, and and sitting and praying and, and seeking God, seeking God's heart. So, so what, what shall I say for the saints, preparing this full meal, this, 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 this whole layout for the saints of God to come and feast on the word and no one shows up for dinner. the pastor leaves crushed because he spent all week thinking and praying about the saints of God, praying for them by name, considering their circumstances, and they don't even have the decency to show up to eat. You know what the crazy thing is? For some of you, if your mama told you she was cooking a full-course meal and that you need to be home, it didn't matter if you live in South Florida Florida. So that's where all y'all live, right? <laughs> not a particular city, just South Florida. The crazy thing is, you would cancel everything on your schedule to go eat because you find value in your mother's cooking. And it took her like two hours. It took your pastor a week. And this is not to say that this is a pity party for all pastors, but what it is to say Is that they are human and they are people too, and they have feelings and emotions too, and they go through things too, and they're not superhuman too. They're they're subject to sin just like you are. I think it's interesting that Paul says in verse 18 of Hebrews 13, he says, Pray for us. Pray for your pastors, pray for your leaders, pray for them like you pray for yourself. Because they are part of the body too. They're not a separate entity. They're not superhuman. But they are people who have to give an account to God. For the health of your soul. So do all you can. To be a blessing to the people that serve you. Pray for them. Look after them. Take care of them. Here's what I want to say, and I'll close. Some of you struggle with the idea, not just of a spiritual father, but you struggle with the idea of a godly father. This concept of God being your father is hard for you to grasp because you are projecting onto God what you experience with a natural man. But let me tell you this. God is a perfect father. He never misses anything. He's there for all of life's ups and downs. And this is a father where you never have to question his love for you. You never have to question his decisions if they're in your best interest or not. This is a father who loved you first, who found you in darkness, that while you were sinners, he sent his other son to die for you. That he raised his son to life and through his first son's resurrection, you have the resurrection too. That the power of God that lives through the Son also lives in you. That everything that the Son has access to, you have access to. And this is a Father that promises never to leave or forsake you. He will not miss a game. He will not miss a graduation. He will not miss the prom. He will not miss the promotion. He will always call you. He's always checking up on you. He's always seeing how you're doing. He's always there to wipe your tear. He will always be there to comfort you. He will always be there to counsel you. He will always give you good advice. He will never lead you the wrong way. He will always be there. You will never have to question his loyalty to you because he is a good and perfect father. It's so a good and perfect Father. So if you're here today, and maybe you just say, ah, God is hard for me because I, if you tell me that the Heavenly Father loves me, it's hard for me to grasp that because I didn't have love for my natural father. But they are not the same. But today, if you don't have a relationship with the Father, He has made a way for you through His Son through his son Jesus. And if you would put your faith and your trust in what he's already done for you on the cross, you too can have life and forgiveness of sins. Thus, son shed his blood for you so that you don't have to die in your sins. You can be free in Christ Jesus. So with all eyes closed, heads bowed, I'm done. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.